This episode is brought to you by Vincent A. Lancey, the school speaker and mental health author. Learn more about me at vincentalancey.com. Hello, entrepreneurs, Joe DeGeris, CPA extraordinaire, coming to you live from downtown Levittown, New York. That's Long Island, if you didn't know that. Uh, and this is an early version, this is early for me, of another amazing episode of How to Win at Business. And, and today, we have my, my friend Logan. Logan, what's your last name? Rankin. Rankin. Yeah, you got to... Okay, so if you've never watched one of my podcasts, this is the first time I'm, I'm uh, talking to Logan. He just complimented me on my uh, on the fact that my father tricked me into becoming a CPA when I was 17. That that's another story. Uh, but this is all natural. This is a, a, a conversation that we're going to have. Logan's a pretty interesting guy. I think all the people that that we have on here are interesting, but he's got a, a particular niche. Uh, that I happen to, uh, I respect a lot. It's something that I've never been able to do, which is go into the real estate business. I tell everybody else that they should do it, but I've never uh, taken the jump. It's it's way too complicated for me. But if you're looking for an apartment in, in Wisconsin, this guy's got over almost 2,000 apartments. So how are you, Logan? Thank you for uh, meeting us. Yeah, I'm excited to be on and uh, appreciate you having me here today. Yes, yeah, so I love what I see. You know, I don't know how old you are, but you look way too young to be a multi-gazillionaire. Uh, so I'm a little bit envious. You know, I'm going to I'm almost old enough to collect Social Security already. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so tell us, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. If you read my story, sorry, when I was 10 years old, I didn't understand why people actually had to go get a job. I actually remember asking my mother that, and uh, I don't remember what her answer was, but it didn't matter because there was no way I was going to work. So how did you how did you become uh, an entrepreneur? What was your initial uh, inclination that you just couldn't work for somebody? Yeah, it was probably a couple of years after I graduated college. Um, I grew up in a small town. I'm out of Northeast Wisconsin, and uh, from a family that worked really, really hard, but we didn't know anything about money. And I certainly wasn't taught, you know, entrepreneurship or how to build wealth in school or from society and didn't have any family or friends that, that knew it either. Um, so I graduated college like most people do. And, you know, they taught me to go get a corporate job. So that's what I did. I started working in retail leadership, uh, in a fortune 50 company. And after a few years, like, uh, you know, I'm doing what I was taught. Hey, all debt's bad debt, right? So you get that, get rid of that. Then you start saving. If you have any money left over, you throw it in a 401k. Um, so it was about the time I've been doing that for two or three years, actually moving up in my in my career. I'm just not feeling like I'm building any wealth. I've always wanted money from not having money uh, growing up, but I'm feeling like, you know, I can't build it. So uh, I started reading some books, Joe, and uh, you read enough wealth building books, you come across entrepreneurship, business and real estate. And I'm like, well, obviously, I, maybe I'll give this a try because it, it's not working in stocks. It's not working in IRAs. It's not working in my 401k. I feel like I have no control. Um, and I always wanted control. So um, that's what I did. So in 2013, I convinced my wife to buy a single family house. It was an investment property. It's all the money we had. 
Um, it left us with seven dollars left in our bank account. So I'll still remember. I'll remember that. So it was. But I convinced my wife to be able to do it because I said we'll take a vacation because this book told me I could underwrite the deal and it would like produce uh, somewhere around thirty three hundred dollars. Um, and it did. I was shocked, and that changed everything for me, Joe. To answer your question, that's how I kind of got into it because. You know, I owned a business. I own this uh, single family house and I understood how to underwrite it. You know, I understood the cost associated with it. And most of all, I understood the income that was coming in, um, put some good people around me. And, and I look back at that moment because if somebody said, you know, how much would my 401k produce in, in a course of a year, I'd have no clue. And I guarantee most people don't have any clue, let alone where their money is in, in a 401k. So for me, it was just like, it was a no brainer. It's like, I got to do this again. So I uh, convinced you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, typical, we, we, typical entrepreneur. One, one is not enough. You never have enough money. Okay. I love this. That's exactly right. And then I just, uh, I, I was still working my W2 job because I, I needed, you know, real estate's expensive. And um, slowly we built up. Um, next year we bought a duplex. The year after that, Saved all of our money, went broke again. We bought a couple duplexes, um, then 10 units a year after that. And then it, then I had, you know, a couple good years and around, you know, I started realizing that in my W-2 job, I'm now uh, much higher up in this company. And I understood operations really well. I understood leadership really well. Um, and I could obsess over P&Ls. So I, I started realizing the skills that were making me good at my Fortune 50 job. Um, and at one point, honestly, I, like I was overseeing three and a half billion dollars worth of sales of this company. So I had I I, I was young, uh, but it was a performance based company. So they're giving me a lot of responsibility at a young age to be able to operate, you know, very big balance sheets. And I started to realize that my apartments were the same thing. And if I just started looking at my apartments and the in these buildings as businesses, not apartments anymore, I can force NOI. I can help scale. And obviously, make my apartments that much more valuable, right? You buy a lot of people buy uh, an investment property and they look at it as an investment property, but it's not. It's a small business. And if you figure out how to run that small business more efficiently and more effectively, it produces more profit and it's obviously worth more. Um, so that helped me scale to around 180, 200 units, Joe. And I quit my job right after that. Um, then I started a, a property management business, a few other. Okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I got to slow you down a little. Yeah. How long was it between your first uh, purchase and, and getting that? Because that's a pretty large complex. Yeah, my uh, going from my first purchase to what? To that first big apartment complex. Yeah, it was, let's see, five years. Five wow. years. Yep. So you said a lot of things. I want to take a step back. So I could understand, you know, you're, you're stuck in a day job. It doesn't matter how much money you're you're making you, you felt trapped you it was about control it always is even you know people that because we you know you said you were left with seven dollars in the bank for most people that's that could be devastating that could be oh my god my, my life is over i think for entrepreneurs that's exciting it's yeah. like i only have seven bucks so how do i turn this into seven million so that's what sets us apart. But let, let me preface that by saying there's nothing wrong with having a job. I, I just led a uh, mastermind meeting this morning for people that want to be freelancers. We need people that like jobs. 
because who would do all the work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I don't do that much in my business. I mean, I'm really good at a couple of things. But we have accountants, we have marketing people. I love doing this. I love meeting people. My job is to make connections, uh, cement relationships, and bring in business. That, that's how I look at it. Uh, and yeah, it comes with freedom. Uh, but you also said they don't teach us this, this stuff in school. They don't teach us about money. And Napoleon Hill actually wrote a, a great book. It's called uh, Was Something with the Devil. Uh, shoot, I forgot the name of it. But they asked him not to publish it until everybody in his family was was gone because it was controversial. And he talks about the school system, how they, they you know, he talks about religion, the school system, and all of these systems that are set to, to keep people down. Uh, I don't want to get into that whole thing, but yeah. Uh, You're right. They don't, read. They, they don't. I'm sorry. I was just going to say you're right about that. I just, I, I feel strong. I actually feel strong. I just wrote a book and part of, part of the stuff that I talk about in that book too, is like you, you, you mentioned the risk that I took with the $7. I, I think there's a lot of our lives through school, through society where they teach you, you can't take any of those risks, right? You can't bet on yourself and you, they don't teach you to think about like the risk versus reward ratio and, and the opportunity cost of not taking that risk. Right. So I think, I think yes. that's a really good point, Joe. So, yeah, thank you. So it's outwitting the devil. We do have uh, some people. I All I could see is Facebook user. But if you have a question for Logan, uh, please post it. If you And if you're watching the replay, uh, you could post the question on, on the replay and I'll make sure that Logan gets it. So I want to thank, if, thank you if you are watching live. Uh, and also give me a hashtag live. What I realize is if you put a hashtag there, Whenever there's a comment, you, you will get it. Uh, so a couple of great things. Yeah, the 401k thing. Listen, my grandparents worked factories their whole life, but they saved money. They had a great uh, vacation every year. They owned their own house. So people can do it. People like us can't. I, I would be crawling out of my skin if I was relying on a 401k. Uh, but you mentioned about your wife. And I, I teach people that that is key. If your spouse, uh, the people that you spend your most time with are not behind you, it's it's almost impossible to succeed. So how did your wife uh, come into the mix here? Yeah, I love that you asked that question, Joe, because I, I do think that's underrated. And I think that can spin off a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of people that want to get to financial freedom is they get really excited about what they're doing. They forget, forget to take their spouse along with them. Um, it's actually um, I one of the number one factors that helped me achieve financial freedom. I actually hit it at 30 years of age is when I retired from my full time job or I had enough money not to work anymore. Uh, one of the biggest things that helped us be able to do that uh, took seven years uh, was this like three step process of like how how you and your spouse or your significant other um, every single month reveal your goals, your aspirations through a financial plan. So it all starts with step number one, though. It's the vision step. So I got her on board because what we did is every we, we still do this, by the way, our goals have just changed every single month. We sit down before looking at any financial numbers and we talk about the things that we really, really want. 
right, in life. Because I think we live in a world of instant gratification and constant distraction and social media. Rarely do we think about like, what do we really want? And my wife and I wanted financial freedom really, really bad. We wanted to uh, be free from our jobs and be able to be there by the time we had kids. So writing down that goal grounds you. And if you take the time to reflect, because this is what it's about, reflect on the last 30 days and look forward to the next 30 days and really just think about like, what do you need to do to be able to hit those dreams, hit those goals? Well, then all the decisions in between, like those are decisions or compromises or sacrifices that you're both okay with. So when we bought that first property, we had $7 left in our bank account. We also knew because we reviewed our financial plan when our next paychecks were coming in, why we're doing it and how that first investment property aligned with our ultimate dreams. When we invested in our 401k, because we wanted financial freedom at 45, uh, we did it sooner, but a 401k doesn't let you access it until you're 59 and a half. So it, 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 you know, having these conversations about what you really, really want, because I think a lot of people, they work really hard for their money and they don't take the time to make sure their money works hard for them in conjunction with their spouse. Well, if you both want something, write that goal down and talk about it every single month. And I promise you, you'll be able to achieve that goal so much faster. And as things come up, because they do in life, like I still remember the conversation where my wife wanted to upgrade our house, right? I, we're not financially free yet, but you want to upgrade the house. And we had a really good conversation about how much longer it would take to be able to achieve financial freedom. And I didn't have to say, let's not buy the house. I just said, if we want to buy the house, let's buy the house. It's just going to take us two years and seven months longer to be able to get the financial freedom. And if that's okay with you, then that's okay with me. And once we laid out that timeline, centered ourselves in what we actually wanted, she's like, hell no. Like, I, I, I don't need that other house as long as I can be financially free faster, right? Yeah. 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 So you, you did what my coach calls the Socratic method. You ask questions instead of imposing your will. You, you said, okay, this is what it's going to take. You know, it's funny. So the mastermind group that I led this morning is a bunch of freelancers and they want to, you know, they asked us questions about how do I approach an interview? And it, and my partner talked about a vision board and I talked about writing down what you want to accomplish. So it's, you know, I'm not surprised that you, you talk about this. Do you actually, have, did you do a vision board? We didn't have a vision board, but we did write it all out. So, I mean, we okay. didn't have any pictures exactly, but we had, you Don't know, financial. A lot of people like the actual pictures. We're graphic people, but yeah, uh, I've done vision board, but I write everything out too. Uh, what else did you, you, you're saying a lot of stuff that I can definitely relate to, but we do have a question here. Yeah. Uh, and this should be up your alley. I think what advice can you give to those who want to follow your footsteps and have a property management business? Mm. Yeah. Um, so property management is tough. So uh, really tough. And, and right now it's my most important company. And I own a few, three or four different companies, but this one obviously manages all my properties, uh, which is close to well, 2000. Now. But before I'll you answer, let's define, because a lot of people might not know what the difference is. There's, uh, you know, investor product. There's a lot of different uh, niches in real estate. So the first thing you did was you bought a, a single family and you were the manager. So something yes. went wrong with the house. Then when you get to a, 180, you can't, it becomes, that's a full, more than a full-time job, right? Yes, it is. I, I did so all property management. Explain what a property manager does and then tell us how to get there. 
Yeah. I went from one to seven units. I managed myself. I couldn't do more than seven myself. Um, from seven to 180, Joe, I had a third party property management company. So this is where you become an asset manager, meaning that you manage the third party property management company. And then at 180 to 2000, I built my own property management company. So now I own and operate. And what a property management does, it's, it's very, very underrated to find good property management companies because what a property management company does, it does so much more than just, I don't even like the name. One of my biggest goals is to disrupt property management, by the way. But what a good property management company does is really just breaks it down to three things. Number one is they provide a great experience for the residents that are living there. Number two, they manage the property. So they keep up with the property. Think of the toilets, you know, the, the tenants, the, the roofs, et cetera. So they, they keep up with it. And number three, and this is just as important as the first two, is they make sure that that property is, is meeting the, the budget that was agreed upon between the property manager and the owner. So every property should have a budget, right? Income minus expenses equals your NOI, your net operating income. And a good property management watches all those line items. And for example, if a property has 7% maintenance or repairs, a good property management company should keep the maintenance repair budget within 7% while also providing a great experience and keeping up with the property. Wow. I, I love that. I never heard somebody talk about a property management company as uh, providing a great experience, but I love that. That's, you know, that's a core value. That That's something that allowed you to, to scale this. It, it is. And I think I think property management companies are um, are, are very, very ripe for disruption because they're, they're they have continued to operate as if we're 50 years ago. A lot of prop, not all, a lot of property management haven't haven't utilized technology. And there's a lot of great technology. For example, I still see people picking up checks. Right. People don't want to pick up checks. People want to mail checks. People people don't want to put a stamp on it. They want to be able to pay online. Right. People don't want to have to call you. I mean, the, the, the number one renters are not baby boomers anymore. They're Gen Z, Gen X, and millennials. These guys care about the experience. They care about the look. They care about the feel. They even care about the smell. Because if you've ever walked in a hallway, you want those hallways to look good too. The experience that you're providing for your target market is a really, really big deal. And um, we're working really, really hard to try to separate ourselves and do things that other property management companies aren't doing. And by the way, we still pick up the phone. I mean, call right now, anybody watching this show, I would encourage you to call the top 10 best property management companies in your state. And I would bet you that only two of the 10 actually pick up the phone, right? Wow. It, it, it's, there, there's, and I get it, right? There's a lot of renters and there's, there's, there's not enough housing. So you don't even have to try to be a, a property management company, but I will tell you that will eventually change. And I do think people will pay more if they do get a better experience. And if you are a property management that aims to improve people's lives where they live, um, I think there's a, a direct correlation of what you can charge for that too. Do you, let me ask you something. You, you have a, uh, a unique perspective on this because i know people in the real estate business my whole life since i started in accounting i have a friend who has a, a big real estate empire he teaches uh you know how to get into the real estate business i've learned a lot from him uh, do you do any teaching or coaching because it sounds like you can uh, definitely uh if you want to disrupt the property management uh niche 
you just have to tell everybody what you just told us. Yeah, and there's so much more into it. I do do some coaching. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, maybe only a week ago, I do one huge workshop a year where I invite a lot of entrepreneurs and investors that come in. And it's really cool. It's not a nobody comes here to be motivated. This is an in-depth. Let me teach you about how to find a deal, underwrite the deal. And then most of all, how to operate that deal and reposition it, right? Because I think a lot of people get excited about closing and you hear all this stuff on social media, right? Joe, I close this deal, I close this deal. And then they're like, oh, I hope my, I hope my property management company uh, does a good job. When you close <laughs> the property, the real work starts on, that's day one, that is day one. Um, and all the work, all the value, because uh, I scaled to 2,000 units without any syndication. I still own 100% of my equity. Everybody's like, you know, there's a lot of people that say they own 2,000 doors, but they own only 20% of those 2,000 doors. Yeah. Uh, the, right. the way I've done it is because I've, I've I've paid a lot of attention to the operations piece of it. Because if you can run these properties really, really well, a lot better. If you can run, let's call them businesses. If you can run these businesses a lot better than the previous person who was running the businesses, then your business, i.e. the apartment, becomes a lot more valuable. And I'm in Wisconsin. <laughs> There's not a lot of appreciation in Wisconsin unless you run the business better. You got to force it. Um, so that's what we focus on. Okay. So what you're telling me is that the real estate business is just like any other business. When, you, when It's a business. Yes. And I like the fact that uh, you talk about it as it's a business and every business comes down to relationships. Uh, picking up the phone, you know, we just we had to search for a good uh, voice over IP phone because of, of our most of our accounting team are overseas. And we finally found one. And, and part of their job is to not email clients. It's the, emailing is the worst way to do business. Yeah. to communicate so we we actually make phone calls now okay and we encourage them to meet with our clients face to face in a zoom call instead of emailing questions so that you know i never heard a, a, a real estate person talk about it like that so i think you're going places logan if that makes you feel uh i appreciate it yeah. we do have another we do have another question. What advice can you give about choosing a property? A property or a property management business? No, choosing a property. Oh yeah. Um, my number one advice for choosing a property is you got to make sure, I'll tell you my golden rule. You got to be able to move your grandma into it and hopefully you love your grandma. Um, I'm all about location. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's cliche, but it's so true. I, I specialize in buying C class and B class properties. Okay. And I invest a lot of money to make a C-class property, maybe a B-plus property. I don't like A and I don't like D. And one of the reasons I don't like D is because uh, a lot of times you can't, you cannot control, you get into real estate to have more control. You cannot control the properties around your property. So if you buy a property that is not in a good neighborhood, doesn't matter how much money you spend on that property, you can't control the properties around it. So my number one rule is you never, ever buy a property in a bad neighborhood like that unless you can buy the entire entire neighborhood because then you can obviously control and change, uh, which I've done. Uh, number two uh, is- what, uh, An entire neighborhood? Well, oh, yeah. Entire neighborhood. Yep. Yep. Oh, I wow. did actually. That's um, and changed the whole thing. And it went extremely well. Um, I also bought a building that was in a bad neighborhood. 
and got my butt kicked. <laughs> so as long as I can control the neighborhood, uh, then then you can actually make that uh, you can you can attract great residents. It's just so hard. So to before, I know you wanted to make another point, but because my friend Mike talks about these grades of uh, explain what an A property is, B, C and D. Yeah, I think and everybody has uh, <laughs> different different they describe these differently but here's how i describe them and you can describe them differently but a class is typically the highest end you know a newer property within the last 10 years um that's going to be demand the highest amount of rent and the best location etc um and i don't buy those um i i again i i i take a lot of risks one of the risks i don't want to take is having too much of my portfolio in a class because during a recession during a pullback a lot of those renters leave or they can't afford that rent um, so those compressed cap rates uh, really hurt. A B class is just a step down. So now a property within the last, let's call it, you know, 30, 40 years, still in a superior location. A C class is in a okay location, but maybe has the potential to come up. And usually this is a property in, you know, like 1970s, you know, 50 plus years old. Um, in Wisconsin, anyway, you can see the, the lime green walls, maybe some shade carpet. Right. Um, it, it, it's tired, right? It's in a it's in an okay location, maybe even a solid location, but it's tired. Um, and those are my favorite properties. And then a D would be a a, a bad location, uh, a ba in a in a bad neighborhood uh, where the property is again tired and and there's a lot of deferred maintenance. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what my friend does. Sort of what you you know, and he specializes in single family <clears throat> properties, and he goes in there, he guts them, and he upgrades them, and then he flips them. That is uh, so somebody asked a question and, you know, we I, I don't like to go longer than a half an hour because people just don't they don't watch. I, I definitely want to have you on again. Uh, but I, I know you wanted to make another point, but we but we have another question here. This is a record for questions. How do you identify a location that's good? Mm. Yeah, good question. Uh, there's a few different factors. Uh, one of it is look like Google's amazing. Like guys, just use the tools and resources that are provided. Take it, take a look at the location, Google job growth, Google population growth. Those two things are gonna be critical uh, for you know where, what is happening and wh what's going on around it. Then Google police calls. It's all, guys, honestly, every crime, everything police is really calls. on Google. Yeah, police calls. Wow. Yeah, so many police calls, not just at your building, at the surrounding buildings. And then, uh, and then, Google can only tell you so much. Some things you got to see and some things you got to feel. So then I do the drive around, right? And you want to drive around your property and the other properties in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. Wow. Yeah, so that was another question. So there's a need to go around that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I love all of this advice, uh, especially the thing about the closing. Hey, I close. That, that's just part of the deal. You got to – you got to do your homework and then you got to be set up for after the closing, right? Yes. And Joel, the, the first question I didn't, I didn't particularly answer. I'll just say, you know, he asked like how to start a property management company. I would have, I mean, I read some books. Like, I mean, I can't, this, this is not, I don't have enough time to go into exactly how to start a property management company, but here's what I will say. If you're going to start a property management company, one thing I would encourage everybody listening today is you don't just want a property management company. You want a property management company that's capable of also construction. Because right now, the only thing that's harder to find a great deal is labor. 
And I see wow. a lot of people making these mistakes, right? They buy the property, but they have no, the, the most value is rehabbing the property, rehabbing the business and bringing it to where it needs to be brought. Because if you're not, if you buy a property that's not rehab, you're looking at A class or B class with compressed cap rates. It's really, really hard to make those numbers work. So if you want to build a property management company, you also want to build a construction company. And that's that's actually the real power in, in what I've achieved because we're we're rehabbing all of our 85% of our work in-house. Like we're literally, you know, flipping units every 72 hours. And that's very valuable because for other people, it's going to take them 72 days to find a qualified contractor to be able to execute. So for that person asking about property management, I would just encourage you to look into both. Wow. I never thought of that. So usually I would think property manage property management companies go out there and find construction companies to do the work. But you're saying they should be the construction company. Yes. What that makes sense. And it's not you know, just about the cost saving, Joe. Everybody looks at the cost saving because hiring these contractors out costs a lot of money. It's not. It's the speed. Speed kills in that. business. Yeah, well, you've got to be able to turn these units quickly because there's a real cost to vacancy and there's a real cost to rising interest rates and there's a real cost to material costs. So you've got to build your systems and keep as much of that in-house as possible. Uh, honestly, like we, that's our biggest competitive advantage. We have nine teams turning units every single day and we're going to turn uh, a unit in nine. Nine. Well, you, you have close to 2,000 units. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're spending, last month I spent $750,000 on CapEx, just flipping units in a month. Wow. Like, we're so that, that's so this is, somebody moves out and you got to fix it up again. You got to paint, you got to do some repairs, you might have to change some appliances. So yeah, every day that unit is not rented is costing you. That's exactly right. Well, that, that's great advice. So Logan, I, I like to cut it off now. We haven't even touch the tip of the iceberg so we're definitely yeah. going to have you back again i know somebody's posted here that they're going to watch this again so yes it it'll go up on youtube my my assistant will uh send you a link when when it's up there so hopefully you can promote it uh what i'd like is if you could give us a way for people to get in touch with you if you want them to yeah. uh what is it, your website yeah, I can send you after this to throw in the show notes, but my website is uh, loganrankin.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under Logan J. Rankin. And um, I know we didn't get a lot of time to talk about it. And I definitely come back on, Joe, because this was awesome. But I did just launch a book a couple of weeks ago as well. So if you are interested, um, the book's called Find Your Financial Freedom. It's on Amazon. And I wrote it because books changed my life. And I'm hoping to change a few other people. So the book's Looks awesome too. It's not. There's only one chapter on real estate. This is about ways that you can scale to financial freedom. Uh, there's some mindset things, but there's actual steps that people can actually take, and even a legacy chapter for kids. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I, I love that, Logan. So I posted in the chat here your your website. Oh, it's not Amazon. It's Amazon. So people will. I put an M instead of an N. I hope people recognize the, the spelling mistake there. <laughs> but uh, how about this? Uh, any words of wisdom? I mean, you've shared a lot with us. Uh, what could you tell people? They've asked about starting a, a property management company. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. What about investing in other countries' real estate? Because I'm thinking about that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think 
I think investing in real estate in general um, is a great idea compared to the other kind of investments that are out there right now. And based on the economic environment where any investment you take, you need to think about inflation and how to hedge it. And I, and I don't believe there's another investment that can hedge inflation better than real estate. So to answer your question, Joe, I think getting into it in any area is a good idea. Uh, internationally, I am going to tell you that I am not an expert there. <laughs> so consult. Well, I, I'm going to pull the CPA. It depends. Consult somebody. <laughs> no, my, my, uh, one of my assistants said, if you don't know, say, I'll get back to you on that. But I think you answered my question. I'm going to watch this again. I'm like, you answered it all. You got to know the, you got to know the market. You got to, you know, police calls, all that stuff. So I got, you know, the good thing is when I travel to these countries, it'll be a tax write-off. There we go. There we go. <laughs> but also, yeah, real estate's a great hedge against inflation, but it's also really the only tax shelter, the only le legitimate tax shelter uh, that, that's around there now. So, all right, Logan. So hang out for a second. I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes if you have some time. Uh that's our story. We're sticking with it, folks. Uh, look, you know, follow us again. We'll definitely have Logan on again. Uh, I'm going to get your book right now. It's Find Your Financial Freedom by Logan Ryan. Get it on Amazon. So thank you so much. And uh, look for the uh, replay on YouTube.